Blog Talk Radio. on the Fighting Network Sports Conversation. We do it every Wednesday night between 7.30 and 9.30, and we have some great guests with us tonight. As long as our standard panel, Roy Cummings is in with uh, 
All the situations in Tampa, Florida. Roger Hendler's in Atlanta. Big game between the Phillies and the Rays right now. No score, and they're in the bottom of the second inning playing, or bottom of the third inning playing. No, check that. Bottom of the second inning playing at uh, Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia. Our executive producer, as always, is Frank Carroll. And, Frank, uh, I know we got a message or two, a little dedication, so let's get that out of the way first. Yeah, Don, uh, we had a, a very bad week uh, on Tuesday of, uh, of last week. A man decided to set his pizza parlor on fire because it uh, wasn't making any money. Unfortunately, uh, five of the firefighters were trapped inside the building, and four got out and one did not survive. The 27-year veteran, Lieutenant Sean Williams. Sean was a very active man. Uh, he's known worldwide for his rescue, fire and rescue um, operations that he's been on. He was the myriad of, of uh, programs that he put on for different departments is well known. He'll sorely be missed by everybody. But uh, Sean, uh, young Sean, Mary, and Margaret, um, we sent out our very best wishes. We sure wish uh, Sean was here. And uh, unfortunately, uh, moving down to Virginia, a lady was was, uh, giving uh, instructions on uh, uh, heavy water rescue and uh, was swept into a a culvert and drowned. Uh, And that would be uh, Lieutenant Alicia uh, Mannheim, uh, the uh, Fairfax, Virginia Fire Department. So both departments, we send out our very best wishes. Our, our deepest condolences, and we just wish it wouldn't happen again. All right, Frank, thank you very much. Roy, once again, Roy always with us the first half hour of the show. And, uh, of course, Roger is in Atlanta, Georgia, where the, right now the Phillies are playing in Philly against Atlanta, but it's a very big series. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But, Roy, I think uh, before we start with any other subjects, that uh, we ought to put the Lightning to bed first. Uh, very tough game, the last one, two to one. Six games of the series. Uh, an observation or two from that standpoint first. Yeah, obviously a, a really good series. Very entertaining. Um, I mean, really a, a lot of great hockey there. Uh, no matter how you like your hockey, if you like it uh, fast-paced, you certainly got that in a couple of games. If you like it tight-checking, you got that in a couple of games. Um, you know, good goaltending on both sides. Um, and I think the best team won at the end of the day. I, I think uh, Colorado uh, – was just a little bit faster, a little bit more energy, and um, it was their time. Uh, Tampa, I think, really suffered from the loss of probably uh, Braden Point in a great deal. I, I think Braden Point alone, you know, you put him in the lineup and it, it alters the way the Lightning uh, put together their lines, their top two lines in particular, and I think that could have made a difference. Uh, it could have pushed it to at least to a game seven. Um, you know, whether the Lightning win in seven, it's hard to know, but um, I think they could have pushed it to seven games, to seven games with, uh, with Braden Point. But, you know, th- that's hockey. Um, you know, the, 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 the Avalanche were obviously fortunate to have uh, Nazim Kadri in the lineup, uh, Nikushkin. I mean, those guys were everybody's playing hurt at this time of the year. Um, so I, I think that's a wash. Um, but I think it was a great series for, uh, for the NHL. Uh, a lot of great hockey on display. And, um, no, the Lightning didn't uh, win. They didn't three-peat, but you know what? They got a chance now to still win three out of four uh, Stanley Cups and uh, continue to, you know, maintain what some people are debating is, you know, is it a dynasty or not? I think it is. I think if you win two Cups in a row and you get to a a third straight 
and you know finals. And, and let's not also forget. Let's not forget that uh, Lightning were the President's Trophy winner before they uh, had this run. Um, I, I think that's a dynasty, and uh, they got a chance to uh, to stamp that uh, and engrave it in uh, in stone next year if they can uh, get to the finals again and and win. I, I think that's um, clearly that's Lightning's focus. Um, I'm already excited to see if they can do it. Uh, it's a great team. It'll look a lot similar next year. There'll be a couple of guys missing. Uh, Alex Kalorn possibly, uh, maybe some of those uh, older defensemen. Uh, but we'll see how they shake it up. Uh, Brian Breezewa has done a great job putting this team together. Um, you know, I know the Lightning are, are favored in the East to win the East. Uh, Avalanche favored again to win the West. That's, that's normal. That makes sense. Um, but uh, I think both teams have a couple of others uh, on their tails. Uh, I'm not sure anybody's better than those two. I thought all along, guys, that uh, Colorado and Tampa were the two best teams in the league. Uh, the two best teams got to the finals, and uh, they put on a great display. So uh, all positive from my end. Uh, I know that a lot of two people in Tampa disappointed the Lightning don't win, but hey, at the end of the day, it was a, it was a great series. Roger, any closing comments on the National Hockey League before we jump? Uh, Rogers parking cars at the at the park oh, at the. Uh, well, the we'll have the bypass. <laughs> we'll the bypass Roger at the beginning. So that's great because we have a lot of other things to talk about. Uh, first of all, uh, I know Pat Williams is going to join us in the next half hour. Uh, the originator of the Orlando Magic, uh, but a person that's very much involved in baseball and is hoping to get a franchise to uh, Orlando, Florida, and we'll talk about that. But Roy. Uh, uh, first of all, some of your comments on what's happening right now at the top level. We all know that Montreal moved to Washington, uh, the last franchise to move, and they did not have to pay a fee because they were actually owned by the league uh, when they made that move. However, when Oakland moves to uh, Las Vegas, if they do, and some of the big con- uh, meetings were held today as to whether they're going to be able to get enough money to build a park or what they're going to be able to do, the league right now looks like they're going to waive a $1 million fee for moving the franchise. And uh, I haven't heard anything further about it this afternoon, uh, but that's what they talked about last night, uh, that they are very, very interested in uh, uh, getting that situation settled in Oakland. Your thoughts on that, Roy? Yeah, I think uh, Major League Baseball realizes it's got a couple of cities that uh, just aren't supportive of the team. When I say cities, I mean cities. I, I don't mean the fans in the cities. I mean the cities have, uh, are not, uh, you know, not really doing all that they can possibly to uh, to get teams, uh, to, to hold on to teams and, and to get teams, uh, primarily to hold on to them. You know, there, there's still a big dispute here in Tampa between St. Pete and Tampa, you know, what's going to happen with the Rays. The situation in Oakland has been going on for a long time. I understand these are difficult times, you know, but one thing I know we've learned here uh, in both cities is that the longer you wait uh, to, to resolve this, uh, these stadium issues, the, the more likely you are to lose the team because, uh, you know, the, it doesn't get cheaper. Uh, you know, stadiums that could have been built for, you know, half a billion dollars, billion with a B, uh, five, six, eight years ago, now cost you a billion or more. In fact, you, you're going to have to spend that to keep pace um, with, with all the other franchises that uh, are building new stadiums. And uh, you want something state of the art. You certainly don't want people coming to something that looks, uh, uh, you know, you don't mind if they go to something that looks like it was built in the twenties or thirties. Uh, you want that character and charm. Uh, 
but you got to have the amenities that uh, you know make it look like 2022 or beyond 2030. You got to think. You got to be thinking in those respects. And Oakland has failed to do that. Uh, Tampa Bay has failed to do that. Uh, you know, other other cities have have done it. Atlanta is probably the, the most uh, the, the best example. Uh, Arlington, Texas, is another one. Uh, Houston has done it. Um, and I, I, I got to be honest, I don't think any of these cities have anything, you know, over, you know, what they have in, in Tampa and Oakland, uh, other than, uh, you know, city officials who, and county officials who are, you know, willing to make the, the sacrifices mm-hmm. and do what has to be done and make some of the difficult decisions uh, to get these things, uh, you know, re- whether it's referendums, whatever it may be, get these things voted on and get the money uh, going behind it um and also ownership is a problem uh, certainly in tampa um it, it's pretty obvious that Stu sternberg doesn't really seem to care where the team is um he seems to be you know fairly happy making what little money he's making on the team as it is now uh, certainly doesn't want to you know invest anything into the infrastructure of the team in terms of a, a stadium um heck he doesn't want to invest much into you know, into the talent pool either. So uh, it's hard to know what, you know, what's really going on there. Oakland's got a similar situation. But it looks like baseball has decided that, look, if if there's cities out there that want baseball teams, we'll go to the cities that want them um, and are willing to do what is best for our baseball teams, meaning build them state-of-the-art, you know, uh, stadiums. And and that means uh, possibly Orlando, Nashville, Charlotte, Portland, uh, you know, these are the cities that the Las Vegas, these are the cities that uh, they're going to turn to and say, okay, what do you got? What, what, what can you do for us? And um, uh, in, in bidding in bids like that, cities like uh, Tampa, Tampa Bay and, uh, and Oakland can fall way behind and look pretty bad in the end for uh, not stepping up and doing what needs to be done to, to maintain a franchise. Major League Baseball is no longer afraid to see one move. They, they know that they can, the teams can move and they will be just as successful, if not more so, in the new city than they were in the old. Well, in the next segment, we'll talk to Pat Williams about it because he created, uh, out of nothing, the Orlando Magic, and uh, is much, very much involved in trying to get a franchise into the Orlando area, so we'll talk to him about that. But the other negative, uh, which you probably know a lot more about than I do, the governor has just stepped back on, what, $30 million that they had promised uh, to the Rays for their spring training uh, facility, and uh, because of the differential between some political uh, arguments about uh, what's happening right now in, in Florida and what's happening with the baseball team, they're pulling back on that $30 million. So uh, what do you know about that one? Yeah, um, you know, I hate to get into the politics, but uh, let's face it, it's there. It's right in front of us. Uh, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, uh, has pulled, as you said, $30 million uh, away from what could be a stadium fund, from stadium funding for the Rays, simply because the Rays support uh, uh, gay and LGBTQ2 uh, LGBTQ, uh, rights. And it's, it's really sad that, that what's happened in this state is that, uh, you know, private companies uh, that, you know, ha- have, you know, that money is kind of be earmar- earmarked for lose that money because, they take a, a stance in support of uh, a group of people. I mean, boy, it, that that's pretty bad. And, uh, you know, but, hey, this is what this, the people in the state of Florida voted for. They voted for Ron DeSantis. Um, I don't think they all had any clue what they were voting for at the time. 
They're finding out now it's not good. And if uh, Tampa Bay are, is to lose, if Tampa Bay ends up losing the Rays, uh, and, 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 you know, the fact that the governor withheld $30 billion in, or 30, you know, $30 million in, uh, in funding for a stadium, if that's part of it, that, that, that's a sad state. I mean, that, that's just a bad situation. Um, politics, I don't well, know. Well, look what happened with uh, Dizzy. I mean, uh, when Dizzy confronted the governor yeah. and, uh, yeah. you know, obviously said that they were not in favor of what uh, he was trying to promote, the rules and regulations, laws that he was trying to put in, uh, he reacted immediately against uh, Disney, and now it appears that uh, in a smaller way, he's reacting against the race. Yeah, it is very similar in terms of it is similar in terms of the reaction. Lot, yeah, there's a lot more to that than, than uh, you, would leave, you would you would know. The there is a political influence. Go ahead, Frank. I think we lost, lost Frank. Frank. Are you still there, Roy? Yeah, I'm still here. Well, it, what, what happened? It would, you know, the, the situation with Disney and, and the and the Rays is is somewhat similar. I mean, obviously, DeSantis decided to to you know to, to pull this stunt where he's going to withhold money or, or, or take away uh, the tax break for for Disney. The Disney situation is a little bit different. Um, th- there are there are votes that have to be made there. Uh, by community people, it's not just the, the governor's decision. Whereas with the raise, a little bit different. And um, but again, you know, this is money that's budgeted for you know for for X and Y, and it's and in the raise case, and and he, you know he's basically trying to withhold it because someone doesn't agree with his political viewpoint. Which again, I'm sorry, but I just think that's ridiculous. I, I think that's <laughs> every shade of wrong that there is. And uh, yes, I understand there's a whole lot of uh, political um, discourse involved and things like that, and it doesn't mean that it's all going to happen um, at the end of the day. But um, it's a pressure tactic. That's what it is, and and that shouldn't be happening. Uh, I don't think governors yeah. in the state should be pressuring uh, companies, baseball teams, uh, you know, parks, anything uh, to, to to follow his lead. If you don't want to follow, I mean, that that's what we're he calls it the freest state in the in the in in, in America. Well. That's rather ridiculous because if you really if you if you don't follow DeSantis's uh, lead, uh, you're, you're likely to you know to be left on the sidelines uh, wanting for something, and uh, that's not good. Well, you know, Frank, I know you want to make a uh, comment. Go ahead. Yeah, um, um, the former mayor uh, is leading the uh, the charge. Former Tampa mayor Bill is leading leading the charge to get that uh, stadium in. Unfortunately, he finally had a chance to sit down with Jane Castor. And explain to her $950 billion for a stadium plus another $150 billion for the change in the interstate. Uh, that was the, the governor just uh, said, wait a minute, we don't have that money. He's well, withdrawing well, programs Frank, 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 money. Frank, hold on, Frank. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. It's not $950 mm-hmm. billion for the stadium, and it's not $150 billion for the infrastructure. It's it's million. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. it is it is close to a, it's a billion oh, yeah. dollars for the stadium, yeah, and then one hundred fifty yeah, million dollars. So right. make sure you right. get that correct. I want yeah. to correct that for you. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, and what happened was when they sat down with their bonding agents, it it wasn't going to work out right. It was going to be it going to be heavy for both Hillsborough County and Tampa cities. On the other hand, 
you got a new mayor in, in Tampa, I mean, in St. Pete, who said, well, I got all these people out of work, uh, they're working from home, uh, I got to cut my budget somehow, and uh, we may not be uh, interested in keeping them anymore. So uh, there is, it's both sides of the aisle that are, are fighting against this thing. And uh, uh, I know for sure, because I've been in meetings, that the uh, there is a glimmer of hope. I won't say it's a, a hope. There is a glimmer of hope for uh, uh, Charlotte County to get that money for the uh, the new stadium. Um, well, the good news in Tampa is the good news in Tampa Bay is that the lease doesn't run out until 2027. Um, right. and, and believe me, I'm sure there are all kinds of contingency plans that can extend the lease year by year, two, threes, two, three, four years at a time. You know, in, in enough time mm-hmm. to get um, to get uh, uh, you know a, a stadium built because um, they can be built mm-hmm. pretty quickly these days. It, it's not like a, you know yes. it used to take you know two, three years sometimes. Uh, they they can get these mm-hmm. things up in uh, in a year now almost and. Uh, so, so it can be done. There's time for, for it to be done. But, you know, and, and part of the issue is you're right. I, I mean, look, the communities don't really have the money to do this. The issue continues mm-hmm. to be in Tampa Bay, and I think it's much like this in Oakland as well, mm-hmm. is the team doesn't want to put the money in or, or it's fair right. to share. If it's a billion dollars right. to build a stadium, well, then, you know, all the city is saying is, okay, we'll, we'll put up half. And they go to right. Stu Sternberg and say, you need to put up half. Well, Stu Sternberg doesn't want to put up half. You know, he, no. he's stuck basically on the same number that he had five, six, eight years mm-hmm. ago, which is like, you know, $250, $350 million. Well, as you just said, right. at $950 million, that's a third, uh, you know, at best. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he's, not, he's, he's coming up a little short, and it doesn't look like he's going to – and he continues to play St. Pete off of Tampa – the St. Pete mayor, mayor just in the last 48 hours decided after, you know, new word that, that you know, things in, in Tampa have slowed again and, uh, you know, they're not because the Rays basically won't come to the table and tell them what they need or, or want. Um, you know, now, now the city, now St. Petersburg is going to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, well, what can we do? And, and again, I mean, mm-hmm. I'd rather see the team in St. Pete than in, than, than in Nashville. But at the end of the day, um, I'm not sure Major League Baseball does, and we know mm-hmm. that St. Pete's not the best place. I mean, look, guys, we've all we all we've all lived here, mm-hmm. you know, for part of our lives. We know St. Pete is not the best place for the team. It's Tampa, right. and or at least Hillsborough mm-hmm. County. Take your pick, but downtown mm-hmm. Tampa is more likely the best place, and it works for every other team in the community. Um, you know, even even look at the Rowdies. You know. They, they get, they get 1,100 people at a soccer game now. You know, when they used to, they, this is a team that used to sell out Tampa Stadium. Um, mm-hmm, it's got to be mm-hmm. in Tampa. And until they put the team in Tampa and give it a shot there, we'll never know if this is a baseball market. And the, the, right. the, the, the concern is maybe we'll never find out if it really is a baseball market because ba- Major League Baseball thinks, I think, is getting fed up with it, much like they are with Oakland. Mm-hmm. Well, before we mm-hmm. put this subject to bed, one last uh, observation from both of you, and that would be, as we look at this and we look at the plans that the, uh, you know, the commissioner of baseball uh, outlined yesterday, as I say, first of all, possibly, I, it's not, I don't think it's definite yet. The owners haven't voted about waiving this $1 billion fee to move Oakland. I mean, that's certainly a, a heck of an inducement to get them to go from Oakland, California, sure. where they're getting nobody, to Las Vegas, Nevada, which is now the sports dominant place of the world almost. 
But more importantly, mm -hmm. they're also talking at the same time about expansion. I mean, how can you have more mm -hmm. expansion in baseball? The product is so bad now. Where in the world are you going to get another two teams in two cities to put up this kind of money to bring a franchise in, as you say, whether it be Nashville, whether it be uh, wherever, Portland? I mean, I just can't understand. How are you going to, how are you going to expand a sport that's dying? Well, first of all, I, I don't think the sport is dying. I don't think it's I don't think the product is bad. It is in some cities, but it always is in some cities. Um, I, but I, having said that, there are things I think that Major League Baseball has to fix. Um, you know, the way they put together the current collective bargaining agreement, I think it's kind of backfired a little bit because you've got a lot of teams right now that basically are looking at themselves and saying, you know what, we're not going to contend, and they're not. Um, you've got more young players coming up, which I, I don't mind, but it does kind of, you know, prohibit you from really competing at a high level. So what you've got in every division now is you got, you know, you got haves and have-nots. You got about two halves in each division, and then you got about three or four have-nots in every division. And Roy, you know, nice, you let me interrupt are... a minute because Pat Pat's on a little bit earlier than I would, and I want to get him in on this because if anybody's very much involved in what's happening right now in the world of baseball, we were going to talk about the draft and the, and all the other things that go along with the Orlando Magic. The team was created by Pat Williams and uh, had their first draft choice uh, in this last draft, and we'll get to that. But, Pat, we, we got in, involved here in the first half hour on what's happening in Oakland, uh, what's happening in uh, St. Petersburg, uh, that the league is, uh, you know, probably more than I do. The, the early announcements yesterday were that the way league is thinking about waiving the billion-dollar transfer fee to let Oakland move to Las Vegas and the other cities that uh, – that are possibly looking at expansion. Uh, first of all, your thoughts, because you were working now for four years on what's going on in Orlando. Well, uh, the, the whole issue in both cases is ballparks. Uh, the A's have been trying to get a new facility for decades and have been unsuccessful. Uh, the Rays have been trying to get a, a suitable ballpark not quite as long, but uh, over 15 years, and they've been unsuccessful. And now, uh, recently, the commissioner blew the whistle, and he said, guys, you're going to have to get something done here. I mean, he put some pressure on them. And we're watching very, very carefully to see what happens here. Uh, we, we're, uh, we're standing by. Uh, trying to work it out to move the Rays to Orlando. And Vegas, uh, from what we read, you know, is uh, an outlet for Oakland. Uh, if those two teams move, however, I I think that would all but kill expansion. Uh, you know, the commissioner has said way back that he would like to add two teams eventually. But if, if if Vegas and Orlando are off the off the board, I don't know where else they would expand to. So uh, it, it's an interesting time, obviously, and at a critical time, really, uh, in, in uh, this whole issue of new ballparks in these cities. Pat Roy Cummings is on with us from Tampa, Florida, and he's been covering uh, yes. sports in Tampa now for the better part of 35 years. And uh, so we really uh, got into a little bit. Uh, Roy, have you got a question for Patrick or a little update on some of the things that we talked about? 
Yeah, uh, absolutely, uh, and, and I'll, uh, I'll leave you guys after this question. But Pat, uh, again, tell us where you are in in the Orlando uh, venture to, to get a team uh, to Tampa. I mean, have there been any discussions with the Rays about possibly moving there? Have there been any discussions with Major League Baseball about Orlando becoming a a, a site for a, an expansion team? Where where exactly? Uh, do you sit right now in terms of Orlando getting a major league team? Well, we've been, we've been in touch with the commissioner. He knows exactly what we would like to do. Uh, we, we have kept him posted on, uh, on what our situation is. Eventually we're watching the situation very clear, closely in St. Pete. <clears throat> and uh, we're also uh, monitoring eventually expansion. And we don't know how that's all going to play out, but, uh, we just feel, Roy, that Orlando is ready. We're the 17th largest media market in North America now, uh, the largest media market that doesn't have a Major League Baseball team. Um, we've, we've got uh, the population base. Uh, we've got those 80 million tourists a year that come here. And uh, we got to figure that uh, uh, 2 or 3% of them would like to go to a Major League Baseball game close by. And so we, we feel that our, our time has come, that we're mature enough now. We've tried uh, for 30-plus years to do this. Uh, the first effort was in 1991 when uh, the National League went to Miami, and then in the mid-'90s we tried again uh, when the American League went into St. Pete. And uh, so we, we, we've grown and we've matured, and uh, we think we're ready. And, Roy, in the well, meantime – Well, I'll leave you guys with this. Uh, I know one thing. Uh, if it can be done, Pat Williams will get it done. Uh, this, uh, Pat, you, you look, I, I go back to the first year of the Magic. I covered him for the Tampa Tribune back then, along with Bill Fay. I don't know if you remember, but uh, either way, it doesn't I matter. Do. I do. What matters do. is that uh, you are, 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 are a, you're, you're a doer. You get things done. And Orlando has uh, been blessed to have you uh, – uh, involved in its uh, in building up its infrastructure sports-wise and in other areas as well for so many years. Uh, it's great to hear from you again, and uh, hey, good luck in the in in the venture because uh, Orlando may be far a little bit you know of a, of a drive from Tampa, but uh, hey, uh, I, I know I'll support that baseball team if it's over there. Roy, we feel I'll tell you what uh, the ballpark would be on the west side uh, of Orlando. Uh, from the east side of Tampa, uh, you could probably get over here in an hour or so, uh, which is which is easier than getting from the east side of Tampa to the Trop. Uh, so, so we feel it would be a regional franchise, and uh, would work out best for everybody. Well, we'll see what and happens. Hey, and hey, meantime, if we ever get some high speed rail in this uh, in this state, well, that would help it too, mm-hmm. wouldn't it? <laughs> well, that's on the way. You know, that's going to happen. Well, Pat, you uh, also detailed to me a couple of uh, shows back uh, that you have pretty much a guarantee of uh, season ticket holders, which would certainly be impressive as well. Well, we we feel that the community is ready. Uh, they're eager to do this. Uh, we, we've had well over 12,000 people indicate an interest in being season ticket holders. And uh, so we feel that all the ingredients are here. But, Roy, I'm curious uh, about uh, the situation in St. Pete and Tampa. 
we hear different rumors, uh, different reports, which side of the water and so forth. And uh, can they get a ballpark built? Uh, would would the American would would Major League Baseball say, uh, "Oh, goody, let's just stay right in St. Pete. We've we've been there for 25 years. Let's just continue when it really hasn't worked well." Uh, what what what's your sense? What's your gut feel on on everything that's stirring over there? Yeah, my gut feeling, Pat, is that uh, if if it if it ends up in if St. Pete if Tampa can't get it done, then the franchise will be out of the area. I don't think Major League Baseball wants to even attempt to try it again in St. Petersburg. I think they would probably go to the people backing that effort financially, uh, including the owner of the Rays, whatever he's going to put in. Certainly they would go to the communities and say, look, don't waste your time. Don't waste your money. We don't want to be in St. Petersburg. If we're going to be in Tampa Bay, we need to be in Tampa. It's the only way we're ever going to find out if Tampa Bay is uh, a baseball market. And uh, there are people, I'm sure you know, that working very hard on the Tampa side to get it done, but they, they have a hard time getting the Rays to tell them what it is they need, what they want. Um, you know, so it's kind of like it was way back in the, uh, in the early 90s uh, when, you know, St. Pete just built the stadium and said, okay, well, we've got this. Maybe we can somehow pressure Major League Baseball into giving us a team. And, it, you know, it did work out for them, but – it's, it's kind of going about it backwards. And, um, you know, but uh, so if Tampa's going to do that, which I don't think they would do that at this, you know, when you're talking about a billion dollar enterprise plus the infrastructure costs, uh, I, I don't see the community doing it um, without, you know, the help of the Rays. And right now the Rays just don't seem to want to help. And you know, maybe that changes in a, in a year or two when, you know, as we get closer to this deadline of their 2027 lease expiring, but, Right now, it's uh, it's a bad situation, and I, I would say that uh, Orlando will will be the site ahead of St. Petersburg for sure. Roy, would you explain to me uh, the Rays' uh, thinking in really not communicating at all uh, with the different cities? What what what's your take on that? What does that mean? What what's the bottom line on the Rays' thinking? Well, Pat, that is the one billion dollar question in this whole thing is no one can seem to understand or nobody, nobody can get a straight answer out of the Rays, um, out of Stu Sternberg. They, you know, they, they can constantly play the shell game uh, with the community where they say, well, this is what we want. And then they, you know, they come back and this is where we want to be. And then they come back and say, well, actually we're not sure that's going to work. And, you know, when they ask for, you know, commitments on dollars, they, they don't get good answers. Um, sometimes they don't get answers at all. They say, well, we'll decide that when we know what it's going to cost and, you know, what are you willing to put in? And, and it's just, again, it's, it's very, the answers are evasive and then they can't seem to get them. And, you know, it's kind of like trying to trap a ball of mercury under your thumb. You just, it just keeps slipping away and, and you can't ever figure out exactly where you stand with this situation. And that's part of the, um, part of the frustration uh, with the community. Roy, explain to uh, to me uh, that potential site, Ebor City, uh, on the Tampa side. But yet, I saw a story recently that says that that might not work at all. I mean, is is that the only site in Tampa that potential Ebor City site? No, there's a, there's a, there's actually a couple in Ebor City. 
that they could uh, that, they, that they could go to. One of the reasons Ybor City is considered to be the the prime destination is because the land is cheap right now, uh, for the most part. That's part of it. Um, the other issue is that there there is land there, uh, and uh, uh, it's it's kind of tied to the historic nature of the of the community. I mean, there obviously you know baseball was played in Tampa for many many years, but um, you know there's there's a couple of other options as well. Uh, Ybor City, they think, because of the growing entertainment uh, in in the district, uh, would be best. It would be you know very similar to some of the other stadiums in Major League Baseball already that are already have, you know, kind of a, 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 a lot of, it's a gathering place for people uh, looking for other things to do. And, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea just to, hey, let's go out to dinner and then stumble into the ballpark and watch the game. So they're kind of hoping for that. But, you know, there's, there's another site uh, just off of downtown uh, near to uh, the interstate that they could go to. That's not out of the realm of possibility. They would have to dare to tear down some housing projects. Uh, to do that, but that's been considered. It's still on the table. It's not in, in the center of the table. But another option that is quite possible, and, and I think this is something that Tampa's kind of got in the tip pocket, uh, especially for a quick fix um, that can be expanded later, is you take the site where the Yankees train now on Dale Mabry, uh, which is right across the street from uh, Raymond James Stadium where the Buccaneers play, and you make that the stadium. And um, you can you can expand that stadium, you can expand that footprint. It's uh, right on the same property as Hillsborough Community College, so you've basically got state uh, land there, community land. Um, again, not not expensive, so uh, it can be done. And there's plenty. The footprint is 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 very easy there. So there are a couple of options, and there are people, as you know, working in Tampa to get, try to get it done. And, they just they just need someone to you know to work with them and and that's been the issue and uh, if that issue ever goes away or gets resolved well then we might have a final uh, solution here but uh, Roy uh, the cost of ballparks uh, just keeps going up originally we were quoted uh, with a retractable roof this roof this was well, three to four years ago a billion two that was what the Texas ballpark just uh, cost a billion two. I think that price has probably gone up. Uh, you know, we're probably eventually it's going to be like a billion four. At least. Uh, that that would be a 40,000-seat ballpark. Um, oh, does Tampa have the funding mechanism to do that? The, the the only reason we're in it is is the potential of the resort tax dollars here that uh, Orange County produces in, in uh, big numbers. That's the only reason we're talking. Uh, can Tampa pull that off? Do they have that funding mechanism? Well, the, the people behind the venture here in Tampa have contended all along that they do, that they've got what they've got. They can pay half. And that's kind of been their pitch to the raise all along is, look, we'll pay half. We'll, we'll do our part. We'll pay half of this. Um, and they can do that out of the state funding, uh, tax funding that's already here. That's in the non, you know, not, not taxes of people in the community, but, you know, tourist tax, that kind of dollars. And um, their belief is that they can do it, and they can do it up to a billion dollars. Now, as you said, you're looking at 1.2, 1.4. You know, what does that mean? Um, and, again, it's just I hate to keep going back to the same answer, but the same answer is, is the answer that they get all the time. They, they don't get an answer from the Rays. And um, that's been the frustrating part is, you know, I think if the Rays could ever come forward and say, okay, here's, here's what we can pay. 
this is it, even if it was less than half, then I think the, at least the, the city of Tampa or the community of Hillsborough County, whoever, um, maybe a partnership between, the, between Hillsborough and uh, Pinellas County could get together and say, okay, well, here's what we have to do in order to get this done now. Um, and if, even if it went to a referendum, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, taxes on the community, uh, you could at least, you know, put it out there and say, okay, this is the, this is the plan now. The problem is they can't come up with a plan, uh, a good, hard, solid plan that they can present uh, either to the community or to, you know, basically to, to the commissioners and, and city council uh, because they, they can't get an answer on, well, what would the plan look like? And, and that's the frustration. Roy, here, here's the key point. Um, we are convinced that we over on this side, and I think probably over there, it's going to take every bit of five years uh, to get this done, to, to get the funding in place, to get the site cleared, to uh, get, the, get the design work done, uh, every bit of three years to construct it. You know, we think it's a five-year project. And, and the clock is ticking. Uh, five years from next April 1st, well, that, that's five years from uh, April 1 of 23 to April 1 of 28. Uh, we're, we're coming up with a five-year mark now. Uh, does that, does yeah, that seem to – You're reg- right. Does and, that reg- part of- Go ahead, Roy. You're right. That is, that is, that is exactly right. And uh, part of the issue is that, well – you no longer have five years. I mean, 2027 is the uh, the end of the lease for the raise. And as I said earlier, I think before you came on, you know, there's a possibility that you could extend that lease in some way. I'm sure there's probably a contingency in there somewhere in that lease. If not, uh, certainly it can be drawn up quickly. If you know, if you think you're a year away from getting a stadium, whether it's in Tampa, St. Peter, uh, you know, Nashville, or, or Orlando. Um, so that could happen. Uh, but at the end of the day, you're right. It, it takes time to get all this stuff done. The, the, the good news here in Tampa is that they've been at this for so long that, you know, they do have some of that legwork done. Um, site surveys have been done, so, you know, surveys on, on uh, land and, and things and, and plans for how to obtain the land. A lot of that stuff is, you know, has been done. But again, as you well know, executing those plans and and getting them, uh, you know, rolling down the track is uh, is a little bit more difficult. Uh, it doesn't quite happen as, as easy as it all, you always would like it to. You can't, just, you know, flip a switch. So you're right. There's a timing issue here. And again, um, it's just it's mind-boggling because the Rays don't seem to be concerned about the timing. Um, and and it's and it's and it's ama- what amazes me, uh, Pat, is that you know the Rays could be doing so much better uh, somewhere, whether it's Tampa, Orlando, Nashville, Portland. Charlotte, take your pick. Uh, they could be doing better. I mean, I know you know that, you know, they, they average, you know, 8,000 people a game. And uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's awful. It's embarrassing. And, just as know, bad in Miami, Roy. They just, uh, the other, last weekend, they had the biggest crowd they had was 17,000. That's the biggest they've had all year. And they thought it was a packed house they were celebrating. Yeah, no, I know it's uh, it's unfortunate, but again, I think again, I think the right stadium in the right area, the right community, would get it done. And again, if, if that means it's Orlando, then it's Orlando. Roy, here here, here is uh, here's the ultimate question: uh, Could could you picture this scenario? Because this is the only way it would happen. 
five years in advance, uh, the Rays would have to say, all right, we've made a decision. Uh, We're moving to Orlando, Florida in five years. Uh, uh, You know, there's no major league ballpark in any of these cities. And and then they would be a lame, you know, play uh, as a lame duck for five years in town, in St. Pete. Could you picture that happening? It would have to happen that way, frankly. Uh, how yeah, would that it probably play? would. And yes, I can see it happening because the Rays of all, you know, let's face it, they weren't afraid to say that they were ready to do a a fifty fifty split on the season with Montreal of all places. Yes. So, um, you know that had a bit of an impact on, uh, you know, the way some people approach the team. Uh, Obviously there's going to be people, if you say something like that, if you come out and make that decision, you are certainly going to have, you're going to lose some fans in the community you're in. But at the same time, you could begin to gain fans immediately in the other community, whether it's Tampa, Orlando. Um, Hopefully it's, it's not, you know, somewhere outside of the state. Hopefully it is either Tampa or Orlando, but, um, no, I, I, I think I could see them doing that. Um, they, they, go about, they go about things a little bit differently than most teams. I, I think a lot of you know, major league cl- clubs would be hesitant to do that. The Rays, I don't think so at all. Um, and that's exactly how they would paint it. They would say, well, we may be losing you know, fans here, and we'll lose them for the next four or five years. You know, the, the real baseball fans will come anyway no matter what. Um, but at the same time, we're going to be growing fans in Orlando, and you know, we're going to start playing uh, – you know, exhibition games there and uh, more often and things like that. Maybe they'll move their, who knows, maybe they would even move their uh, their spring training site to Orlando for a year or two uh, prior to that uh, just to, to help build up the fan base. So, uh, you know, it, it's not it's not out of the realm of, realm of possibility at all, in my opinion. Roy, do you see Sternberg at any point selling the club? I, I, I think it could Ooh. happen. Um but I, I just I, I I get the feeling that he's hesitant to do it. Uh, I I think he feels like, you know, hey, he's he's one of these guys. He, he's he's got a a good asset here. He didn't pay much for it compared to what it's worth now. Um, I think he's comfortable making what he's making. Um, I think a lot of people in Tampa Bay would love to see him cha- uh, sell it uh, because I think, you know, it's just been it's just been an acrimonious uh, situation. I mean, he, he's compared here in Tampa all the time to, uh, uh, you know, the Glazers and, and, and uh, Jeffrey Vinnick who owns the, the lightning and uh, comes up short on that, uh, in that poll every time. Um, ownership, as you know, as you know, Pat matters. And um, you got to show a commitment to the community in order to, to get people to back you. And especially during the tough times. And uh, um, the Rays have been one of the better clubs in baseball, you know, of late, but uh, it's not always going to be that way. And uh, if they start to struggle, it, it could it could get kind of ugly here. Roy, how do you compare Sternberg to uh, uh, Vince Namoli? Um, <laughs> it's a good question. Vince just had a Vince just had an edge to him. Um, wasn't a people person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stu is more of a people person, but he's just as, I don't want to use the word ruthless of a businessman, but he's just as shrewd, I think, as, as Vince was, maybe even more so. He, he's, he's, he's smarter, um, so I would say he's probably more shrewd. And, but, and, and he, doesn't, you know, he doesn't wear his, his heart on his sleeve. We, we, that's part of the, the frustration is he's hard to read. You know, uh, uh, Vince was easy to read, um, and uh, mm-hmm. and that was fine. 
and, and but but Vince had a passion too, and I don't know that um, that Stu has that passion for baseball that that Vince did. Vince had a passion for the game, uh, and when things didn't go his way, it, it, it wasn't pretty. But um, he had a passion, and he had a passion for the community. I'm not sure Stu has that same passion, and, he, and as I said, I think he's far more shrewd than than Vince was. And uh, you know, the bottom line is, the, I, I think he would leave this community in a heartbeat if he found something better. Roy, we got to let you go to dinner, and, and uh, we can jump in with Pat and continue on some other things. But, Roy, as always, thank you very, very much, and thank you for adding on and participating with Pat because I know a lot of the questions that he asked are very, very important to him and his organization. Thanks, Roy. Oh, you're welcome. And, Pat, uh, great to hear from you. Thanks, Roy. Uh, hope you're feeling well. Thank you, Roy. Thanks, right, Pat. Let's... Take care. Let's get to your club, the Magic. You created the Magic. Uh, the draft was last week. Most of the writers, most of the broadcasters, a little bit surprised uh, in the decision that your staff made about taking that first pick. Some of your observations on that first. Well, Don, there, there was no wrong way to go uh, last week. Uh, Jabari Smith from Auburn is going to be a terrific player. Uh, ben Shero is as well from Duke. And I think in many ways it was kind of a toss-up. But Benchero uh, is probably a little more ready. Uh, as a young, they're, they're both the same age. Uh, Benchero is, is a true power forward. Uh, Jabari Smith probably not so much. And uh, uh, we have a real hole there in, in that position. And uh, so we'll see. We're going to start finding out on July 7th uh, with the Las Vegas Summer League. And uh, uh, all the teams are out there, and these all these draft picks are going to get to play against each other, and we're going to uh, enjoy seeing how all this plays out. But uh, I, I think Banchero was the right pick. I think he's going to fit in here. I think he's going to uh, be able to start playing immediately as a as a youngster. And uh, there's a great deal of excitement here about uh, that pick. Pat, you've built uh, many a team in your time. <laughs> in the basketball world, uh, reality. What is the reality of this is 2022? To be competitive in the top eight, uh, two years? Well, Don, a decision was made, uh, oh, I guess, well, was it a year and a half ago or so, uh, that we really weren't going anywhere, uh, a long pull, and uh, the decision was made to move uh, the veterans out and, and come up with younger players and draft picks. And, right. Uh, and that's what's happened. Uh, last year, uh, the 21 draft was the first uh, draft, and that produced Jalen Suggs uh, we're with the fifth pick. We're still waiting to see him develop fully. And, and the, the first-round pick from Chicago for Vukovic turned out to be Franz Wagner from Michigan, who came in and uh, made the all-rookie team this year. Uh, it, it's uh, with the, winning that lottery, which was a huge break. Uh, that has produced Ben Chero. Uh, I don't think uh, the, the plan is to uh, do anything radical, you know, and just let these youngsters develop. Uh, I think we'll be a little bit better this year. Uh, but uh, getting another high pick in 23 is not the worst thing in the world either. Uh, if you're, in other words, if you're going to follow this path, you, you, you follow it. And uh, so we've added a bunch of young players through the draft. 
and uh, and and from other means, and, and that's what we're going with. And I think people love to see a, a team develop that way. I, I think they enjoy watching young players develop and mature and improve. And uh, that's going to be the case here, and uh, we'll see how it all starts improving. And uh, and and they tell me, Don, that the twenty three draft uh, is going to be a, right now. Uh, is going to be a terrific one. It's going to be a terrific draft in twenty three. So we'll we'll see how that plays out. Well, so when we as we look ahead and, and uh, the. The plan that you made from last year, which transcends into this year, which transcends into the next two years, uh, if the players and the selection is so difficult, I, I know it's easy to say, you've you really got to be a little lucky, too. I mean, you, you know, you've you got to make the best possible selections you think, but at the same time, they've got to turn out about the kind of player that you want. And, uh, you know, all you can do is hope that in the next two years with this big draft coming up again next year that two years from now you're in the top 10 or the top 12 teams in the league. Uh, Don, you make a good point. Uh, we're, we're evaluating, and this is true in all the sports. We're evaluating 18 year old youngsters in baseball. You start scouting them, you know, seriously at 17. And then you've got to make a prediction about where's this kid going to be in uh, three years or five years. Almost impossible. It's tough. It's a tough business. And, and that's why uh, if you've got an outstanding scout or scouts, uh, that's the key to your success, frankly, uh, to evaluate talent, to predict where, where they're going to be down the road and uh, analyze what's inside their heads and their hearts, uh, their desire level. Not an easy business, uh, but uh, if you if you've got scouts that can, can predict and hit, you know, seven out of ten, uh, boy, you, you've got a chance to be very good. And that's true in all the sports. Scouts scouts are the key uh, to any successful organization. Well, as we as we round this out, Pat, this segment, uh, you and I chatted a couple of days ago about the Warriors and. Uh, you know, everybody's looking forward uh, not only to this year or the way they were to, they were picked to, to finish well down and they wind up winning the championship. And, of course, now they're all rolling into going into 23 and winning it again. It's not, it's not quite that easy. I mean, they've got some older players there, and there's going to have to be a transition in personnel. And, it, it, you know, it, to me, everybody's raving about the Warriors right now, and they were great, and Curry is great. But Curry's going to be another year older. Your thoughts on the Warriors? Well, they, you got to give them a tremendous amount of credit. Uh, Steve Kerr does a marvelous job with them, and uh, oh, great! But you're right. But but you're right. Uh, Curry's on into his 30s now. Draymond Green's on into his 30s. Uh, they do have some youngsters coming along behind, uh, but they're not Curry and they're not uh, Draymond Green. Uh, listen, Clay Thompson's not a youngster anymore. Uh, and and so uh, we'll see. Uh, I've got a feeling that Curry's got a couple of great, a uh, couple of outstanding years in him. He takes good care of himself, and he keeps working at it. Uh, he's never never gotten uh, comfortable or complacent. Uh, so it's going to be fun to see how they develop, Don. But uh, they've they've certainly been a well. I, I think you could almost call them a dynasty here over the last seven or eight years. I mean, they've right. been remarkable. 
been, been remarkable. And I, I, I give Steve Kerr a lot of credit. He, uh, he's got a night. Nice, he's got the right touch with him. He, he doesn't. He's not overbearing. Uh, he knows how to deal with his guys, and uh, and they seem to have great respect for him. It's been quite a story out there, and, and uh, it's a beautiful story, really. Pat, I want to thank you so much. Uh, we got Thanks, together man. earlier uh, talking about different things that we were going to chat about tonight, but we wound up with more on baseball than we did on anything else. But best of luck with the youngsters that you, uh, your club selected and as they move into the next year. And I hope you'll join us again every once in a while, as you always do. Uh, it's always a great pleasure to have you on. Don, great to talk to you. Thanks. You call any time now, and all the best to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Don. Tony Leodora is on the line right now, a great friend, a great reporter from the Philadelphia area who now lives down in the Venice area in Florida uh, as of the last couple of years. The traveling golfer, he's played on more golf courses. Tony, first of all, thank you very much for joining us as always. What's that number of golf courses that you've played on now? Uh, I think I just played uh, at Union League National, the old Sand Barons course in South Jersey that the Union League bought. And that was number 906. The traveling golfer, uh, how was your uh, alignment for this year? What clubs did you uh, did you work with? I, I only have a chance to see you when I get back from Florida. But uh, yeah. how was your year this year so far? Uh, it, it was it was a great year. We we got to a lot of uh, pretty cool destinations, uh, some different places in Florida itself. Um, we're, we just finished shooting a show in Sebring that'll air in uh, uh, through the rest of the summer here. A little bit as our alternate show. Um, we're going to be doing a show from PPC Tampa. Uh, so there are some of the Florida shows. Uh, we're doing one from Pinehurst again. It's always great to get up to Pinehurst and um, and be and and the other thing that's really great is just to hear your voice again, buddy. <laughs> I miss you. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear you and be back on the air with you, uh, Don. It's great. And uh, and I actually was in your old your stomping grounds there the last few days. I was down in South Jersey, so I'm running all over the place. Um, oh, I wish you'd have called me. We'd have had dinner at least. Yeah, well, it, it it was a whirlwind trip, and I'm sort of on the run here a little bit. A lot of issues going on, but uh, the the television show keeps keeps doing great. We signed another contract with NBC Sports so that we'll be on for another year and uh and the you know the the, the fact that uh, the, these different locations keep popping up. Uh we we did a show from Barefoot Resort earlier in the year and we're going back there to shoot another show because they're having the National Amateur Long Drive Championship there, and that is quite a production. It's it's like a uh, it's like a combined light rock and roll and bombers show. These guys, you know, it's it's all amateurs. They've sort of followed the National Long Drive Professional Championship that's been around for a number of years. So uh, that's going to be pretty cool. Tony Leodora is our special guest, the traveling golfer. You get to see him on NBC with his show, and, of course, it's on NBC Sports Philadelphia here in our area, and uh, I'm in, North, in yeah. South Jersey, but I get uh, uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia here in my area as well as uh, the folks that are down in Philadelphia. 
But uh, let's get to a couple of uh, controversial points in the world of golf because yeah. your opinion I would certainly be a little. <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> I knew that was coming. Go ahead. Well, no, I just uh, you know I just see now where the European Tour now is really stomping down on LIV. Uh, we've yep. had a lot of conversation with the PGA. Uh, you're close with all of these groups and work with them all with your show. Uh, first of all, the thought of people uh, deserting the PVG, PGA and going the other way. Your thoughts on that first? Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, it's a lose-lose situation. <laughs> no matter what, which way you look at this whole thing. Um, the PGA had a, a monopoly for a lot of years and enjoyed it. And uh, whether they didn't treat the players well enough or you're never going to be able to treat the players well enough because they're spoiled, when another entity starts to throw absolutely stupid money out there, hey, everybody has their price. I mean, I'm just being a realist. I'm not saying they're right or wrong for leaving the uh, PGA Tour. Uh, the PGA Tour is is – I guess within its limits to try and defend itself by saying, hey, if you go and play for that money and then you can't play on our tour, so we're going to have a fractured golf world. So what else is new? It's 2022. What isn't fractured in our lives? But they are weakening a little bit because you can play on the – on the big big championships. You can play at the the Masters. You can play – you know, that's a little bit of a forgiving – well, it's not – they're not PGA Tour events, so they have no jurisdiction. They can't tell the Masters who can play there or who not. That's an right. invitational. That is an invitation on has been since the 30s when it started. Uh, the U.S. Open is a USGA event. The, uh, the Open Championship, otherwise the British Open, is, a, is, is an RNA-governed event. So, you know, they'll – they don't have jurisdiction there, so I don't. They're not really weakening. They just they can't say anything in those cases. Uh, it's it, you know, I, I hate to sound jaded, but again, what else isn't fractured in our world right now? Right. So you know, golf might as well be okay. You know, you've got football fractured by guys who want to kneel during the national anthem. While basketball, we saw them walking off the court this year. You know, there's all this division. So it's it's now. In golf, too. It's, uh, it, w- this is the world we live in these days, and it's, uh, I don't like any of it. I don't like a single second of it. But well, I'm the only, the only one that I could really, the only one I could really understand of the top play. I mean, you talk about Dustin Johnson, and so you know, which he's still a you know a top three, top four, top five player. Uh, but the only one I could really justify. <laughs> And I know it's very controversial, but I can justify Mickelson because he's 52 years old. I mean, for him to he, he didn't make 200 million dollars on the tour before in his great years. No. Why wouldn't he take 200 million dollars at 52 years of age? There's no reason that I could justify him not taking it. You're, you're absolutely right, and Don. Don, that's why you have been my mentor for so many years. You cut through to the chase. All these times, and and that's that's the realist look at the whole thing. The guy has one last hurrah. For two hundred million, might as well take it. Yeah, because uh, to be honest with you, I mean, uh, 
I, I don't know exactly what he made. Uh, you know, well, I don't know if he lost the forty million or didn't lose it. Doesn't make any difference to me whether he did or didn't. But uh, <clears throat> you just look at it realistically, and uh, you look what had happened. Even though he hadn't had a chance to participate in any tournaments and had a chance to practice or anything, but you look at what happened to him in the last two tournaments. He couldn't make the cut. I mean, uh, he, he's not gonna. Yeah. He, he could go on a senior tour and make money, but he's not going to make any kind of money like that. Hey, listen, these guys are all independent contractors. They they didn't have a contract with the PGA Tour. So, you know, what? I'm not going to hold them to a, a, a higher moral ground than anybody else and say, well, they shouldn't go and do that. I'm not defending it, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, you know, put them up on the cross. Anything new on the golf front that you'd like to touch on? Uh, any of the tournaments that were just completed, the Open, uh, very, very interesting to say the least. Uh, the PGA, well, very, very interesting to say the least. The Masters, very, very interesting to say the least. Some of your observations as we uh, look out uh, toward going to the British Open. Well, uh, you know, one of the things that I saw that I, I thought was showed some health in the uh, in the golf industry was the recently completed U.S. Senior Open at Saucon Valley Country Club, which was incredibly well attended over this past weekend. Uh, Saucon Valley once again showed itself as one of the most magnificent golf properties in the country. Uh, it looked absolutely beautiful on TV. Uh, it was a great tournament with a terrific ending. With Patrick Harrington hanging on for a uh, a win there, and you know it showed that you, you know, I was talking to a Philadelphia area newspaper guy who was saying, ah, oh, they're not going to cover it in the papers because you know nobody cares about the this guy talks in hyperbole all the time, unfortunately, because <laughs> nobody cares about the senior tour. I said nobody like like who you. The, the you know the guy on the desk in, in the at the Inquirer who doesn't know anything about golf. There's thousands of people coming to the event. They had huge galleries at, at Saucon Valley. Uh, so qualify your nobody, and he couldn't. So it, it, it's it's a that was a good thing to see, and it was good to see that kind of support. And and frankly, the Lehigh Valley has supported every single USGA championship they've had there. This was the third senior open, and then they also had a women's open there at Saucon Valley, and huge crowds at every one of them. And I'll give you one other satellite city, if you will. Uh, Six, seven years ago, when they had the U.S. Women's Open at Lancaster Country Club, once again, huge crowds. So that's a grassroots golf movement of support from people who, you know, come out to see the events and feel and touch the players and get close to them. And that shows a, a general health of the sport. If they're coming out to do that, then the sport is, is in a good position. And it obviously is. Try and get a tee time at some of the courses now. Holy mackerel. Well, Tony, uh, as I thought for many, many years, and I've discussed with a lot of people, I don't know if you and I chatted about it uh, back when, but uh, I just think the deepest sport in talent in the history of the United States is golf. You could be the 200th ranked golfer, 
And if you happen to qualify that weekend, you may win the tournament. I mean, you, you, you don't have to be in the top five, the top 50, the top 100, the top 100. There's never been a sport, in my view, that has the kind of talent from top to bottom that golf has. You're absolutely right. I mean, it is, you know, there is a, a, a widespread challenge. Uh, you know, back 30, 40 years ago, top rung was better than that they are now for a couple of reasons. Maybe they, they were more dedicated. Maybe they were more competitive. But then the drop-off was, was a, a lot greater. You know, when, when, you had, when you had Nicholas Palmer, Trevino, Billy Casper, Johnny Miller, um, Tom Watson, banging heads week after week. That was pretty amazing. But that the drop-off was sharp from there. Now, as you said, you got to go to 200 to find the drop-off. The other thing you touched on quickly, which I'd like to amplify a little bit, because uh, I've always felt badly, I, I just think the women are finally starting to turn the corner. Uh, I think they're getting a deeper field. They're getting more, uh, not enough, but more American talent on the tour, which makes it much more interesting for the uh, average viewer. If you're, you know, going to Wimbledon to watch tennis and there's no Americans playing, you're having a tough time getting an audience. But uh, yeah. and, and the same thing with golf, because the Asians dominated the tour for so long and so many outside of the country of the United States. But now, uh, again, I think the women's golf tour has really turned the corner finally. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, it, you know, we've seen a, a little bit more of a resurgence of the women players. The the younger American women are deciding that this is an athletic event that they are really suited for. Court, the Cordes sisters, Cordes sisters are really making a move. They keep Henderson makes a move. They they're in there playing. Yeah, yeah. Well, Henderson, of course, is Canadian, but it's still close enough. <laughs> so right. It, it's it's a, uh, but you're right. There is some more coming up through the ranks. Some of the younger American players are really, really pretty talented, and um, and and that's a good thing for the sport. When when the whole leaderboard was Asian, and you know, you know, and they had to put numbers before their names because there were five Kims or whatever, six Lees or whatever. Um, it, it, it it's it's you know hard to get excited. As well, not only that, it was hard to get sponsorship because, you know, uh, after you talked about Dinah Shore and what she did during the period of, of trying to elevate women's golf, after that you had to really had a tough time finding major companies to sponsor. Yeah, back then that was really the case. Uh, that is true, but um, now you're seeing a little bit more sponsorship with them. And, and, and let's face it, um, it's, it's a uh, – it's a very competitive sport right now uh, with the uh, women. And the main thing that you want to uh, see is that they're getting some of the recognition. And then they, they are. I mean, the, uh, uh, the different major championships get good coverage on TV. I think uh, Roger Henler has just uh, gotten on with us. I think in Atlanta, I think Frank told me that he had, he was a little busy earlier. Didn't get a chance to get on the show, but uh, Roger, are you there? Yeah, I'm uh, just getting old. I'm, <laughs> well, I'm cleaning. I'm cleaning out my mail. Well, your uh, Phillies yeah. are down two to one right now, Roger. Oh, it's the I sixth know. Inning. I'm, I'm watching. Hey, Tony, how are you? 
Hey, Rod, how are you, man? Great to hear Good. from you. You know, I just wanted to follow up with what you two were talking about, you know, with the women's tournament. And I used to love the McDonald's Classic down uh. down at the shore at Seaview. And uh, the but the other thing is, I you look at uh, at women's basketball and some other sports, they're getting a lot of sponsors and they're getting a lot of uh, notoriety. I mean, I saw the uh, I'm not a I used to be, but I'm not a WNBA fan anymore. I'm not an NBA fan, period. But the uh, I saw you know the, all the uh, uh, the sponsors that they had on their telecast on ESPN. Yeah. It's- uh, well, getting back to the one you mentioned there, actually the the, the Shoprite LPGA Classic was the one at Seaview. The McDonald's was yeah, the, down right. at Wilmington. Yeah, but that really yeah they always really played on the Bay Course down at Seaview. They, yeah, you're yeah, right. They, they are both. They were both very successful for two different reasons. The Shoprite, I was, I would say, didn't draw flies, but that's not true on the Seaview course. You're going to have a lot of flies all the time. The Greenheads, but uh, <laughs> they, they, didn't ha- they didn't have the big galleries, but they had the biggest sponsorship and pro-am, two-day pro-am participation of any event in the country. So wow. very successful financially. The McDonald's, when that was played in Wilmington, once again, a smaller city that rallies around a, an event, huge Huge crowds, absolutely huge crowds. I remember standing there with Nancy Lopez one day, and she actually had tears in her eyes. She looked around and she said, I never thought I'd see the day where this many people were coming out to an LPGA event. It just absolutely makes me feel so good. She literally had tears in her eyes. So it's it, 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 there. Tony, they started, in, they started in the Philadelphia area, you know, they, and then they went the to McDonald's Wilmington. Was, yeah, it was at White Manor Country Club. When it was That's right. Just the, uh, it was just the McDonald's championship, not a, not a major. And then they went to Wilmington. And at, at White Manor, there was some pretty good times there. That's the uh, first time I met and interviewed Jan Stevenson when she was number one in the world in 1982. And uh, I went to interview her, and I could hardly get any questions out of my mouth. Because my my jaw was open and I was just like, oh my god! I I I can't believe that a guy that's running around with models all his life never be impressed by something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, finish the story. It started a long, long time friendship, and and we are great friends. She lives uh, in you know in in the. Tarpon Woods area of Florida. That's that's her golf course that she owns, Tarpon Woods, and I see her on a regular basis there. She now has a wine company. We go up and do wine tastings. I go up and sing at her place when she does the wine tastings, and uh, and, and we've been great friends for a lot, a lot of years. And I tell that story all the time. I said, I said, Jan, I said, you know, I, for those I, for I those people listening around the country, I, I would just like to emphasize since you brought it up that. Uh, the feeling of Sinatra is right here on the telephone with us tonight. Tony Leodora <laughs> does a great. terrific, and, and I'm, I'm I'm not just trying to pump him up. Tony does a terrific job. I, I get to say, oh, unfortunately, I didn't get to say him much this winter because I was under the weather. But uh, he sings all around the Florida area, whether it's in Venice, whether it's in Sarasota, wherever it may be, and uh, songs of Sinatra. 
and and Tony, I gotta say, you, you do a terrific job at, and uh, you make everybody that's in the building uh, just feel they're part of the show. And I just wanted to throw that in. That nothing to do with golf. That nothing to do with traveling golfers. It only has to do with traveling vocalists. But uh, you, you do a terrific job, and I can't wait to get back down to Florida, get to Venice, and get over there, and hear you do it again. Uh, thanks a million. It's nice of you to say. We just did a show at Chef Rolf's, the new Casey Key Resort, and uh, we had a, an absolute blast there, and they hired me for a bunch of other ones this year. So I'm looking forward to that. It's, uh, it's a fun thing. I, hey, I had to find up. I had to get – I was so unsuccessful in sports, I had to get a part-time yeah. job later in my life. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. Well, Roger, I'll, I'll let you get a few questions in because you've been on the road tonight working, so uh, I'll, I'll let you get a little time here with Tony and uh, jump in on anybody, whatever you want to talk about. You know, Tony, there there was a uh, uh, a restaurant out in Newtown Square, and uh, they had a show there. I saw it a couple of years ago, and it was uh, two brothers. One did Sinatra, one did Bobby Darren. And I would love oh, – well, I would love to see you – like uh, even if, if when you get back in the Philadelphia area, if you if have time to, I you would be a big draw uh, in the Philadelphia area. You know because well, you're so well known from sports. Yeah, I, I did a lot of them in Philly, and and actually I am coming back in uh, October. I'm I'm doing a wedding at Springmill Country Club, and then doing the huge Columbus Day event out at Bellwood Country Club near Pottstown. So I yeah, I, I got to charge you sponsor to- time pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, what's going on there? That's the last, that's the last trip. I, there. I, I'll tell you something. I can't do that because every time I go with him, he picks up the check, so I can't even do that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, God. we we had uh, we're trying to get this uh, gentleman on. It was ironic. You, you may know him. Um, uh, it's the uh, club that's out there in Westchester. That's really a uh, a well known uh, club. And uh, he was the acting uh, general manager. And what happened is, uh, one morning uh, on uh, uh, the uh, sub-channel of Buzzer, they had the old from 1973 uh, to tell the truth. And he oh. was one of the, uh, the uh, you know, fraudulent, so to speak, uh, 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 people, you know, the contestants. And right. uh, the imposters, that's the word I want so anyway, he at that time he was at CAU, and I called Don and and I and I got a hold of this gentleman. He was uh, out at the club, and he was also a producer, and he was going to do uh, a a big uh, movie. And I, I he said, well, I try to fit in, but I was thinking of you because you may uh, I forget his name. I have it in my uh, directory, but. Uh, it's it's that well known Don you knew about it I think Frank knew about it and there, is it Bellwood or something out by Westchester Bellwood's by Pottstown um, there's, yeah uh, there's it's that, that's it's great it's owned by the Piazza family Mike Piazza and his family the yeah uh, Westchester Way is Radley Run Pen Oaks that was it uh, that was it Pen Oaks that that was it no, he, Radley and Run. He, uh, yeah, exactly. And he knew Don from CAU. Yeah. And he was in sales. But, you know, this is 40 years ago, you know, and 50 years ago. What am I talking about? 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, Jeez, Tony, you got to remember, it. Roger. Tony's still a young man. He's well, only in his late thirties, early forties. I know, I know. God bless He's a young guy. He's a They got a they got a little stone plaque in our stand. You know, Tony Leodore was born here. <laughs> you know, Tony, I was thinking about you at the uh, sports writers' banquet on May second, and yeah, I right. I was up there and I was there. But I'll tell you what, Don knows and and Frank knows. It was hilarious. Phil Martelli was like everybody. Everybody that was on the dais was great. Phil Martelli, I just told the story today. I was trying to recruit this kid, possible kid. I've been trying to do a couple of them for Fran Dunphy from in, in, uh, the Atlanta area, and uh, but Phil said he said something's wrong here. Jay Wright retires and Fran Dunphy's back on the bench. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 so, Tony, before you got it exclusively on that golf front, you covered an awful lot of sports in Philadelphia. Well, obviously, the Big Five all the way at Villanova, and more importantly, uh, all the baseball with the Phillies. And uh, yeah. uh, and and uh, anything you'd like to to recollect for a minute while we have a few seconds here, or some of the things that uh, struck you in Philadelphia that you'd like to touch on. Well, I can't let Phil Martelli comment go without saying he is one funny guy. And oh, he and I, mm-hmm. he and I started the same week. Him as head coach of Bishop Kenrick High School basketball, and me mm-hmm. as assistant sports editor at the Times Herald in Norristown. And I went in and introduced myself, do an interview with him, and, and we both looked at each other and said, "What the hell are we doing here?" <laughs> I, I don't I don't know that this is going to work out but who knows what's going to happen down the road and we laugh about that all these years um, other things I, I'm, I'm enjoying as much as I can watching the Phillies I still scratch my head at the time the stat of the week I heard today was in two years in the major leagues Mickey Moniak has still yet to get a hit off of a left-handed pitcher. Yeah, they That's said that right. in last night's ball game. Yeah, That's right. he was like over seventeen or something like that. That is beyond belief. It is, and he got—he's yeah. not hitting tonight. I mean, he's playing, but he's not hitting uh, tonight. I mean, he hasn't hit tonight, and that's against the right-hander. Yep. So, yeah, against the right-hander. You know, Tony. Real quick, I wanted to. Uh, well, you uh, were talking about Bishop Kendrick. I don't know whether yeah. – did, did you ever know Chappie Moore? Yes, I sure did. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. Yeah, well, Chappie's a good friend. There. Exactly. Well, you know the story that he cut Gino Oriema from the freshman boys basketball team at Kendrick. He, he should have. <laughs> <laughs> I, play, I played on a uh, softball team with Gino. He sat on the bench. I tell him every time. I say, you know, you couldn't carry my job. <laughs> I love it. Oh, wait till I see him the next time. I'll bring that one up. Uh, I'll tell you one thing. He's done a pretty good job, Tony, since then. Yeah, uh, he he did okay. Well, what happened is we were at the uh, Big East uh, Women's, or uh, the Atlantic 10, no, Big East. And and I I waited for Gino because I'm good friends with Chappie. Matter of fact, I do some uh, work uh, in the eyewear business. But I you know knew him at Notre Dame High School for years and years. So I said, you know, there's this rumor, uh, Gino, that uh, 
uh, Chappie Moore cut you from the boys' basketball team at Bishop Kendrick. And he looks at me and says, that's not a rumor. That's a fact. And then he <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, Tony, before we let you go, uh, anything on the golf front that we touched on the the, the, the new tour in Europe, we've touched on the British Open, we've talked on the tournaments that just been completed. Uh, anything you'd like to touch on, equipment-wise, uh, something that may be in the rumor mill that's going to happen in the next year or so? What do you got? Well, one thing that's happening in, in this coming year, but they just had media day on Monday at Wilmington Country Club for the uh, BMW Championship is going to be at Wilmington Country Club in another couple months, and um, and, and that's great. That's another huge event, the FedEx Cup playoff, final, semifinal playoff at a venue that people haven't seen, an, an old Robert Trent Jones golf course that has an incredible legacy to it. And uh, it, it's just good to see big-time golf coming to another one. We had the BMW a few years ago at Aronimate. And, uh, well, you know, Tony, it's a little bit of a – it's a little disappointing that it's been such a long time since – White Marsh and the great days of the tour being in the Philadelphia area. And, uh, you know, it, it, it came in a couple of years ago when uh, when uh, uh, Tiger Woods tournament couldn't play in Washington. They brought it into Philadelphia. But uh, you yeah. don't really see the tour in the Philadelphia market, and that's a shame. Not on a regular basis. We, we're getting these uh, special events here and there, and that's the way right. it's going to be. The problem is to have a regular T- PGA Tour event got to have a big-time sponsor. We have no corporate headquarters in Philadelphia at all, except for Comcast now, NBC right. Sports. Uh, and they're they're in the habit of taking sponsor money, not paying sponsor money. So um, mm-hmm. without, a, without a corporate headquarter, you're not going to get one. That's a shame. Yeah. I mean, when I mean, you, you think know, about all the headquarters – that used to be there. Yeah. You know, what are you going to have, a Chicken and Pizza PGA Tour event? I don't think so. <laughs> Nothing Before I let you go, crazy. Tony, we got a PGA professional down in the Baltimore area who joins us week in and week out, Doug Hamilton, and he's driving home from his uh, office on the golf course right now listening, and uh, he had a question or two for you before you, you decide to bail out on us. So, Doug Hamilton, Fire you're on with Tony, Tony Leodora right now. Uh, gosh, you got me on short notice there, Don. I'm, you know, uh, recovering from a, a long day of looking for head covers and, um, you know, <laughs> making news for people. Uh, do, do, do you have something at 150? No, I have 2 o'clock. Oh, that's too late. So. <laughs> well, Doug, I'll, I'll throw a question out to you, Doug, as PGA professional yeah. at a club. Yeah. Are you guys going to see the day where you can get your head above the uh, water line and, and take a breath or two? This wave uh, of play is unbelievable and, of course, hard to get help. Um, how are you guys yeah. holding up? We're losing a lot of PGA professionals right yeah, now. Yeah, we are, um, and we're certainly not attracting very many at some of the wages that are being offered and, and uh, the duties to be done and, and – uh, Weekends, the holidays, the long hours, um, you know, the beauty is that my wife actually works with me, so she knows what this is all about in terms of 
you know, me leaving the house at 7 in the morning and I'll get home tonight around 9.45. So, um, you know, you got to love what you do and um, willing to sacrifice, you know, certain things. And, you know, to a lot of these young kids that, that think that being in the golf profession is, is all about playing golf and teaching, I, I think that, you know, maybe they want to start a family someday and they find this job to be counterproductive to doing so. But, you know, I, I think that the outskirts of, of my season um, warrant, you know, multiple days off or vacation times and, um, you know, a, a sense of a real life, I think, on the other side. But, um, oh, give, you know, give, Tony, uh, give Tony uh, the name of your club and where it's actually located because yeah. it's not in Baltimore. It's outside of Baltimore. And uh, maybe if you drive by there, maybe the traveling golfer will stop in one time. Yeah, I'm not far from Baltimore. I'm in, I'm in Pikesville at Woodhome Country Club. Um, you know, 1927. Yeah, been around a long time. And, uh, you know, just a, a good old-fashioned, traditional, um, undulating, wide fairway, small greens, um, you know, tree placements in, in fun spots. Uh, long holes, short holes, dog legs, elevation changes, the whole nine yards. But um, and a U.S. Tony, Open qualifier site, right? We we've done. I mean, I, w- I would say likely in, in the storied history of the facility, that the answer is yes. In my time, I've only been there right. for this is my second season. Um, I know that yeah. I've been contacted uh, by the. the um, yeah, it was I've been years ago. Uh, yeah, to host one. I mean. I, I came from a different facility where I hosted two US, two USAM qualifiers and, you know, some multiple other, you know, fun stuff there, uh, senior PGA Tour events and those sorts of things. So, um, you know, it's I, – I don't know if any of that's in the cards at Woodhome or not. Um, it's a pretty private club, and they want to kind of keep it that way. So, um, you know, as far as hosting – We did a, a stuff, traveling I, golfer show from uh, the Baltimore area at, at the – Part of the year, we did it from the five city yeah. courses. Greystone being one of them, and the you know the other ones yeah. that they had there, and that was fun. That was great. We we sort of built it as a pit stop for people on their way south. You know, make sure you stop off in the area, eat some crabs, play some golf, and then right. head on back down down I five ninety five. Well, if you guys ever do, um, I don't know if you guys get into the different architects or those sorts of things, but. Um, Herbert sure. Strong's the designer. He also designed the Country Club of Maryland, um, in addition to many of the clubs up and down the East Coast. Engineers oh, Club, yeah. to, um, there's another one. Uh, but there's there's several. Apparently, Herbert Strong um, designed quite a few of the predominantly Jewish clubs, uh, for some reason or another. Right. I don't know, but maybe he was uh, their guy, if you will. Um, so, um, But, yeah, I mean, if you ever – have the inkling to come back into the area. There's many great country clubs, um, you know, kind of in that small Baltimore area. You know, your true elite one uh, would be Baltimore Country Club as well as Case Valley. Um, and then, you know, a couple notches down, you'd have, um, you know, the, the, the Woodhomes and the Hayfields and, and, you know, Elkridge and Greenspring and some of the other kind of cool fun ones. So, yeah. Yeah, some great golf in the uh, Maryland area. And, of course, Caves Valley had their moment in the sun this past uh, year. And that Tom Tom Fazio, boy, he he can 
Yeah. Well, Tony, I want to thank you for spending so much time with us tonight. We really appreciate it. My last, my last thought, I, I, uh, last time I talked to you, you told me everything was well with the with the bride, and I hope that has continued before we let you go. She's doing, absolutely. She's doing absolutely great. I can't wait. She's flying in Friday night for a long weekend at the Jersey Shore. So We'll catch, we'll catch up with you at that time. And as I say, news. say hello to your bride for me, and I'm glad she's coming along fine. That's great. Thanks, Don. Thanks, guys. All have a great Fourth of July. You Take care, partner. You Thanks too. too. Play a lot of golf. <laughs> I will. <laughs> what you? Well, before you go, what was that? Three hundred and one courses you played now? Oh, he's going. I thought it was nine hundred okay. one. Yeah, he's going nine hundred one. I, I, I think it was. I think the one he played this last week was three hundred and one. Mm. Amazing, huh. isn't it? Yeah. He. Uh, He's really found a, he's really found a second life. He was a uh, Doug. You wouldn't be familiar, but he was an outstanding sports writer in the Philadelphia area uh, for many many years. A big part of the uh, Philadelphia sports writers uh, group uh, moved to Venice, Florida now, and, and lives down there. Started the uh, TV show, The Traveling Golfer, and uh, as he just said, renewed the contract with NBC uh, this week, and uh, so you see him on the NBC channel. Uh, with the traveling golfer, he's done a terrific job in a second profession, and he also has a mm. third profession where he does the Sinatra shows all around the area in Florida, and, and the area is close enough to uh, anywhere from Tampa, Florida, all the way up to Venice. So, uh, just a terrific, okay. terrific guy with a lot of talent. So, Doug Aroo, what, you may what's, have seen new, sh- what's new with you tonight? Doug, you may have seen his show on NBC uh, Sports uh, DC. Um, I'd say there's a chance, but to be honest with you, I I don't really have enough time you don't to have put time. my honey in a chair. I, I, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'll never I'll never forget. When I was going to college my freshman year, and I wanted a, a beanbag chair, and my dad said no, and I was like, it's a beanbag chair. He's like. You're not going to have enough time to sit your ass in the chair. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, playing, I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing baseball, and I'm, I'm, I'm a student, and and all these other things. Well, he he, he was right. I mean, crap, I, I don't have time to watch TV to be honest with you. But by, by the time I get home, I mean, I did have dinner already, which is nice. That's a, that's a bonus because sometimes I, I don't get that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's we've been busy. Um, I had one of my assistants had COVID. Another um, has mono. Mm. You know, my my wife had had Braden uh, pretty much all weekend with uh, with baseball finishing up his travel league. So I was working pretty much open to close for about five or six days in a row, and I'm I'm daggone tired. Fourth um, of July coming up, and it's a busy busy weekend, and um, you know, it's just there's a lot going on. And well, you know, certainly had some down. beautiful weather to play golf. And I mean, last weekend could not have been better. I mean, it was just. Yeah. Absolutely perfect, though humidity, uh, just a yeah. nice temperature. Uh, so I imagine your club was loaded with people. Well, we've we've had a couple different lady events. Uh, we had our uh, lady member guest today, and we had a, a woman's event yesterday of of some area interclub stuff, and um, we had a an outside event on Monday and uh, a club function on on Saturday. So we we've been cranking out the the events here and um seeing lots of people and um yeah, it's it's been fun i mean this is uh 
this club is a lot different uh, than what I'm used to because the members are only really here from uh, the end of May, Memorial Day through Labor Day, and you, you basically are cramming in a full season's worth of, of events uh, into about four or five months. So every day tends to hold some significance for, for somebody or some group or, or something. All so right. um, you feel like, you know, on Wednesdays particularly, you know, you've got ladies, I've got a Twilight League at night, I feel like my hair is on fire stinking all day because mm-hmm. you're just constantly moving around and doing different things. And, you know, it's just, it's just not, I mean, I typically eat my lunch in about five to seven minutes every day <laughs> because I'm just busy enough that I can't really sit down and, and take the time, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> you know, but that's, that's the way it goes. You know, I think, um, you know, I had the opportunity to, work around the, the short game area tonight for about an hour and hit some chips and some pitches and some things while the twilight was out there. So it's nice to put the headphones in and listen to some country music and, and kind of, you know, hit a few shots and, you know, I had dinner with some of the members afterwards and, you know, now we're, we're doing a fun thing with the show and, um, you know, it's, it's a lot to look forward to each and every week. I'm, I'm pretty lucky to have that opportunity. So Roger. Doug, does your club uh, have uh, a nice dining room, uh, or oh, is it man. just? Roger, I Go gotta ahead. tell you, I gotta tell you, you know, uh, uh, folks of, of Jewish faith do not, in capital letters, do not eat bad food. So uh, our our dining room and and grill area are really good. Um, the food they serve is phenomenal. The chef is – I was chatting with him, with him tonight. He, we were back in the kitchen BSing about this, that, and the other. And, man, he, he just – the crab cakes that they had tonight were delicious. Um, and and all, all the food that was served, they do like a buffet style every Wednesday night, which is just a really good idea, um, you know, in an effort to cut some of the labor costs to have people – you know, pretty much picking off the, the buffet style. But every week they do a different team, and this week was uh, kind of a, a Maryland team, if you will. Um, and the food is just delicious. Um, the, the ladies' member guests today, they had three different options to pick from for the women, um, a couple different vegan things, chicken salad, um, those sorts of things. And the salad that I had had crab meat, it had uh, shrimp in it, it had um, – mm. it was just mm. delicious. And so, you know, I'm just telling you the – the food there is, is, is really good, so that's something is, to look forward to. Is it open sure. all year round? No. No, most of the members um, pretty much after Labor Day go to back to Florida. So, like I said, it's a very short window that they have uh, to kind of maximize everything. And for me, as you know, we talked about the golf shop sales. I mean, I, I don't I, – I have to clobber them over the head quickly because I won't see them you know, past September. And so from a buying standpoint, it makes it tricky to bring in your clothing and, and try to work deals with different vendors so that if, if you don't sell certain things, you might be able to return them or get extended dating or, you know, the better terms, uh, free logo, free shipping. I mean, whatever it is, you know, in an effort to, you know, keep things in the golf shop for about four to six, maybe seven months. And then, you know, come wintertime, you're looking to either do a sale or, send back as much stuff as you can that you can. So uh, sure. it's, it's a unique unique situation for sure. Mm-hmm. So Labor Day weekend extension is that you start to look in the other direction toward the south. 
Well, come come Labor Day, you know, I'm interested in in uh, um, spending some family time, watching football on Sundays. Uh, you know, usually mom and dad, you know, pop over to the house, and then once it gets a little cooler, we, you know, dad and I have some pretty pretty highly contested uh, billiards games in the basement uh, during the winter, and you know, I mean. There's a couple glasses of bourbon in there every now and again. That's okay, too. Roger? Yeah, I was just uh, looking. I'll tell you, we were uh, getting back to baseball for a minute. I'll tell you, Maria Muto, I want to tell you, he can't throw anybody out at second base. (laughs) I mean, we talk about he is deteriorating quickly, not only batting but defensively. And I don't know what they're going to do. uh, They got that contract. And uh, they're yeah. going to have to live with it. It's very sad. That's why you don't give a 30-plus-year-old catcher five years on a contract or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say but, this. Uh, I think your Baltimore club, and they said uh, on the telecast uh, this afternoon with the Yankee game, that, uh, you know, that how the uh, American League East stood against all the other teams. Now, of course, the Yankees are so far ahead of over 500. It's not even funny. But, uh, yeah. Baltimore has has moved up in the rankings a little bit. They're starting to uh, to feel that they're yeah. being much more competitive. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. I think that um, I enjoy, like I said, I enjoy watching them play. And um, last couple of nights they've been in Seattle, and I, I stayed up last night till daggone near midnight. Um, you know, watched into about the sixth or almost seventh inning, and um, you know I think they're still looking, obviously, for the. The, uh, the core grouping of individuals that are going to be a part of this rebuild moving forward and uh, hopefully carry them into a more competitive you know, several-year period of uh, moving up in that AL East. And I think that some teams are starting to take notice of um, some of the young talent that they have that's starting to really prove themselves. The, the core grouping of their lineup with, with uh, Mullins and Hayes and Mountcastle and right now Mancini and that you know, throwing and Natalie Rushman and a couple of these guys, and they're they're starting to you know hit and produce. And you know, unfortunately, at the beginning of the year, we lost probably our best pitcher in John Means to a Tommy John surgery. And um, uh, I think that uh, Tyler Wells, which was a, a Rule Five draftee who was the closer last year, um, has turned into a fairly good starting pitcher. He's six and four with like about a three three ERA. Um, I think that Dean Kramer, who was um, kind of a throw-in in the Manny Machado trade is uh, pitched very well over his last several starts and, and uh, hopefully can be a part of our future uh, starting rotation. I think that at some point you'll see the left-hander in Norfolk, uh, D.L. Hall, probably come up. At least I hope he does. I think that we'll see about Grayson Rodriguez, who you know was by all accounts a, a top-five you know overall prospect in, in baseball. They kind of shut him down a little bit with uh, some oblique. Uh, strain action there, um, but their bullpen is the back end of their bullpen is really good, and I just actually hope for once as a as an O's fan, I know that they have some some trade chips uh, on that team, but the camaraderie and and the fun that those guys enthusiasm that they play with, I think is really really cool to watch. They're starting to win a little bit. I, I hope they don't completely dismantle this team in an effort to continue this rebuild because I think. Some of what they need, need is, is really on this roster. Um, Jorge Lopez, CNL Perez, uh, Bautista, uh, some of their arms in the bullpen are upwards of 95 to 100 miles an hour, and I'd hate to see them 
you know, trade them away to a contender for, you know, a guy that still might be two, three, four years away from proving themselves. You know, they do have the number one overall draft pick and, and, um, and some other really good high picks. So I hope they go that route instead. I mean, I think Trey Mancini is probably on his way out as an aging guy that is obviously not a part of their, their rebuild, which is unfortunate because he's kind of a hometown hero guy. Um, but we'll, we'll see what they do as we get a little closer here. It'd be interesting to see. Well, I know you, uh, you also follow the Ravens very, very closely. And, uh, so we yeah. didn't have a chance to talk earlier in the show. I wanted to, but uh, we got so many different things going on, topics tonight to yeah. talk about. But uh, Sean Watson uh, is uh, very much in the news right now, and it looks yeah. right at the moment that uh, they've dismissed the case, uh, put it temporarily, and uh, it looks like it's going to be thrown back to the commissioner's office to make the decision about what the punishment is going to be. Uh, I didn't think they were going to do that. I thought the courts were going to take care of it, but it looks like it's going to be thrown back to the commissioner, and, of course, he won't do it. He'll his uh, director of whatever it is they call her. Uh, she'll, she'll have to make the call, but I'm a little surprised yeah. about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the information I heard suggested that upwards of a year could be expected from a suspension uh, standpoint. Um, you know, I don't know. I the Browns obviously made such a tremendous splash by signing um, or training, trading for him, then signing him to <laughs> that huge deal of mostly guaranteed money. So, um, you know, it certainly wouldn't hurt my feelings because I don't like the Browns anyway, but it wouldn't hurt my feelings if, if he did get suspended for a lengthy period of time. And, you know, obviously the, the Browns would be on the hook for, for still paying him. Um, you know, it's negative publicity. I don't know. I know that he's settled. Well, the league, the league's before. asking for an indefinite suspension. They're not asking for one year. Surprising now, right. that's the NFL. NFL's the one that's asking right. for the <clears throat> extended. The the lawyers for Deshaun are asking, obviously, for one year. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I don't know and, how and they want it for this year. They want it for this year because uh, he's only. Uh, going to get it like a million dollars or, or low low number, right. and then it, it really yeah. kicks in next year because they they pro- program this uh, to uh, make sure that he was was not hit hard this year. But I yeah, think but right, the, the league's gonna... the one that's coming out. The league's the one that's coming out with more definitive pressure against you know not having a longer uh, an indefinite suspension, not one year, well, an indefinite suspension. Well, that's what right. the league wants, sure, and that, and that's. But the problem is the contract uh, is is a light lightweight this year and a heavyweight financially next year, beginning next year. Right. But the guy I think that uh, that uh, gives out the uh, the penalties, I believe, is John Runyon. Okay, he's vice president of uh, something with the, uh, the players for the NFL. Former Eagle. Well. Yeah, yep. yeah, John Run, former congressman yep. from Cherry Hill, who's, yeah. uh, whose yep. son is the uh, starting right guard for the Green Bay Packers, John Runyon mm-hmm. Jr. Right. Well, Don, I, I think the bigger part of that whole, I mean, this, that, that whole Deshaun, you know, Watson thing is, is what it is. We've been hearing about it for a long time. But I, I think the bigger part of that is that I think they're going to start potentially looking into the Houston Texans for – 
we'll call it aiding and abetting because apparently they, they would set up different rooms and tables. And uh, my guess is that, that people within the Texans organization knew what was actually going on. Oh, uh, absolutely. That, you know, manifested itself into where we are now. So, yeah, you know, Texas, like anything the else. The Texas organization I mean, worked hand in glove with them. For sure. I mean, that's no different than any of these other scenarios that we've seen with, you know, uh, emails that have gone from John Gruden to whomever or, you know, all, all these things within the Redskins organization with regard to the culture and, and all that stuff. So, you know, they're going to probably start uncovering, you know, a lot of different things with regard to uh, what what actually truly happened in that Texans organization because, you know, that whole Bill O'Brien experiment and uh, – uh, the the other coach that they had, I forget they got from the from the Ravens. Um, can't remember his name, um, but you know there's a lot of stuff I think that that was going on there. I mean they, you know they they drafted that Laramie Tunsil guy who who got uh, nailed on uh, Facebook or something the night he got drafted for having marijuana paraphernalia and it's just the, the whole organization's a mess. Roger. No, I, I agree. I, I think it's going to be very interesting if it does go what back to Bill O'Brien. What's all that noise Brian's we have in the background? What, what's going on out there? we got some kids got screaming somewhere. Yeah, we have are your kids, are they, Doug, are they your kids screaming? No. No. <laughs> no. Deeper <laughs> where, where I'm standing. <laughs> uh, I'm on duty. I'm out, Don, I'm out of the car. grandchildren. <laughs> There's great. There's Don's great grandchildren in the background. They're too young to scream. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I was just going to say uh, it's sad if it goes back to Bill O'Brien. I mean, uh, you know, he was the, like the general manager and the coach, and I just thought the world of him on what he did at Penn State under very trying circumstances. Take that. We got to take uh, that into next week. Doug, thank you okay. very much for your contribution, as always. Roger, I'll talk to you later. And uh, okay. Frank, done a great job behind the control. Have a good week, everybody. Yeah, God bless. Yes, Have a wonderful Fourth of July. Be safe. Yeah. Be safe, Doug. You don't work too hard. Will do. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you. These programs are brought to you each and every night of the week. In grateful appreciation, the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please make sure you let them know that they know they're there. These are very trying times for people in uniform anymore. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in line of duty. If you're Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Patrolman Jeffrey uh, Curtis, David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazwood, Sergeant Thomas Payton, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Chillers, San Diego Officer Mike Wilson, <coughs> Uh, Tarpon Springs uh, Deputy Charlie Condit, Deputy Chief Mike Govan, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant Chris Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrol Deputy Don Alpha Crispin, Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Deputy Josh, Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Ardeth Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Flakis, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogan, Longwood Creek Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire, Fire Department. Lieutenant Sean Williams, 
Philadelphia's Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, I know you may be 10 7 at this point in time, so I will be 10 10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, here, Brother Jerry, rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. Good night. God bless and have a great week.
Good night, Bob. We love you and we miss you.